Welcome to the Just Space podcast, where we aim to recognize and elevate the collective voices, experiences, and knowledge to co-produce spaces that physically embody just and inclusive values. We're your co-hosts, Amal Barre, Dr. Eka Permunasari, and Dr. Dian Nostikasari. So our guest today is Professor Imran Muhammad. He's a professionally trained urban planner and has over 15 years experience of research, teaching and professional practice in the field of urban transport planning. Dr. Imran is a chartered member of the Royal Town Planning Institute or RTPI UK. Dr. Imran has worked at the University of Melbourne, Monash University and RMIT University in Australia and King Saud University in Saudi Arabia in research and teaching, tutoring capacities at the Victorian Road Authority or Vic Roads and British Columbia International Inc. in professional capacities. With a wealth of experience, Dr. Imran has dedicated his career to creating sustainable, inclusive and resilient communities. We are honored to have him here with us today. We'd love to hear about your journey, especially what interests you in planning, what sparked your interest. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Initially, I will be in, in planning by accidentally. I have to say, but within a couple of a month, I realized that this discipline is very close to my heart because, uh, because that's interest being that I started learning from uh, so many different perspectives and different perspectives, connecting the dots. And it gave me uh, some thoughts, actually. It started challenging me. And uh, from that day till now, I think uh, uh, I get a chance, actually, to study in a different country. Um, I did my ma I did my undergrad from Pakistan in planning. I did my master's from Hong Kong, and I did my PhD uh, from from University of Melbourne in Australia. And interestingly, the the planning, the focus of the planning in Pakistan, in Hong Kong, and in Australia was very very different as well. And that keep me interesting actually in the. I, in the planning as a discipline. And last 15 years, I moved here at Massey University, New Zealand. And then there's another exciting journey started because the planning, the focus of the planning is very, very different in New Zealand as well. So each day for me is a learning a new thing. And uh, and each day I'm, I'm getting challenged. I'm, I'm learning new thing. From, from New Zealand, I'm in the planning system, New Zealand planning environment, and with my colleagues, from my from my own students as well. So 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 yeah. So so that's a, that's a, you can say that a bit more like a planning intellectual kind of a journey of the planning, and uh, uh, and in terms of a in terms of a professional experience, uh, initially after graduation, I started working with a consultant and and then the developer. So, so very much like a market kind of a thinking as well. And, and later on, I get an opportunity to work in the government sector, uh, local government and the state government. So, so again, thinking about the different level of a and different perspective. 
but but I realized there was a, some frustration. There was a, something which I really want to to write it up, especially to contribute to the communities. And uh, I thought this is a great opportunity to go into a bit more research and academics where I have a, a you can say, relatively more freedom to write it up and to bring those issues, which is uh, hard to bring it up actually in the professional practices. So that's why I'm writing from the environmental perspective. I'm writing and supervising from so women and urban planning, children and urban planning, youth perspective, immigrant community perspective, and from New Zealand, a lot of my involvement with the indigenous communities as well, and how to bring their voices in the planning system. So, yes, so that's excites me, and and I and I have to say, as I said, that I started um, uh, I. Uh, in a planning very accidentally, but I'm so passionate in a planning. Then later on, I get married to a planner. Uh, my my wife is a planner, and she is working as a planner in New Zealand in the regional regional council. And uh, and even she is. I'm learning each day from her as well because because she is. Uh, with more involved in the planning practice with the Maori communities and bringing their voices as well there as well. So, yeah. yeah so, so and, and right now my daughter is going to become a planner as well, but I, I think she's probably more inspired from her mom rather than dad. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So, that's, so that's, that's very good news. The whole family is of planners, yeah. Oh, family of planners, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that, that, that's interesting you mentioned because because I think the 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 one of the main reason I think uh, what is uh, I can say is that you are making a difference. You can see that you are making a difference on the people's life and and the environment, and you feel rewarded. You feel elevated that you have contributed in the society something. I think that's that's the real real reward. Uh, I think uh, for us to keep in in the planning in the planning system as well. So, okay. yes, yeah. So, Dr. Imran, um, yes. and you've been in the field as a practitioner and academics in New Zealand for the last fifteen years or more, working on urban planning and design project. How has this field evolved during your time there? I think one thing I I re, I'm really particularly focused on point the difference of a planning uh, in New Zealand and the rest of the world. Okay. I think here uh, uh, you have to a bit understand that the, the planning is a very much like a colonial kind of a lens in colonial discipline where we have to design the cities in a very systematic way. There is an objective and the rules and regulation and legislation and tools and all these rules and regulation is there. But in New Zealand, is, it was originally the same, but I think New Zealand, there is a one, uh, the main difference is that in New Zealand, we have a Treaty of Waitangi that's a, that's a, European have a treaty with indigenous Maori people in 1840s. 
and and from the last 180 years these european and the maoris are living together okay living together and uh, of course i mean uh, there is a lot of a broken promises very very different perspective on maoris and the european as well uh, uh, the perspective but but still i think the living together of 180 years 180 plus years kind of a thing is that they are the there was a lot of a struggle and a lot of a conflict on a different issues as well but in a planning system that at least i mean there is a, some journey to move forward from the colonial way of a thinking to bringing us some something that's very important to maris and for the Maoris, the one of the real, real, uh, I think, importance is, is to uh, to link with the place, link with the place, and the link with the nature and the environment. So whenever they are introducing, like we have introduced ourselves, they always introduce with their river. They always introduce with their mountain. They always introduce with their native bushes as well. So so that is the part of their introduction as well and uh, and and so 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 the planning become a bit more like uh, you can say the environmental planning even the even this colonial kind of a i mean the planning system got a bit more the environmental focus and and much before environmental focus environmental movement environmental uh, you can say the contribution rather than the world actually the world uh, started discussing about the environment sustainability and resilience i think as well so so that is i think the very unique as a part of a, a new zealand and 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 of course i mean the maoris are not uh, satisfied and happy that i mean they are colonial planning system is considering environment but it's very tokenistic approach rather than very integrated very holistic approach as well and that struggle is uh, continuous going on and right now we are in the process of a, a changing the legislation our the one of the planning legislation is what is we call the resource management act that's the 1991 where the planning or all development have to um, uh, you can say the identify the effects on the environment but but we are after 30 years we are changing the legislations as well and bringing a bit more like co-governance bringing a bit more like a co-production of a, everything rather than just only you can say the effect of the mari or the natural uh, resources as well so so i think it's a uh, and and again these debates are in urban planning these debates in urban design and the and the public spaces as well and uh, of course i've been uh, people are becoming um, uh, sometimes people are becoming quite com uncomfortable as well there's a heated debate even yesterday news is very much 
the news was political debate was going on that the, all the road signs are going on arterial maris and and the english the both language and there's a political debate that how many people knows arterial uh, maris in terms of the population whether it's safe or not safe but but i think we are making progress okay the, the same thing is uh, in in terms of the urban design uh, many times you know what is the identity of new zealand what is the identity of the place as well uh, but but uh, last 15 years i'm here and i can see that we are making progress on the right direction and now the speed of the progress is has been increased as well uh, you can say that in, in a planning and design space. So that's very interesting, um, Dr. Imran. We all know about this Treaty of Waitangi that is problematic and controversial somehow. But you also mentioned about this um, Resource Management Act, um, 1991, and then about the tokenism rather than the participative. Yeah? One pressing issue, though, I mean, based on your experience, how to include Maori people in the planning process? What are your thoughts on this topic and the challenges we face in addressing it? I think, as I said, that the RME Resource Management Act 1991 was very progressive of that time in 1991. You can say the lot of focus on the environment and a lot of focus on, uh, on the Maori's communities as well. But it was a tokenistic one, and now bringing a bit more like a holistic view or a bit more, you know, rather than consultation, it's a bit more empowerment. It's uh, it's more um, it's a part of it like a co-governance system, co-governance system. So so lot of a debate is going on. Lot of debate is going on because that that new. Uh, you can say the new legislation is still in the progress of it, the final touches as well as a program. We have, we have, uh, we did the submission as well. Uh, I just use the word that we have to decolonize the plan, decolonize the planning system rather than and adding a new thing. We really need to see from a very, very different lens actually. Uh, I think that's that's uh, that's uh, where uh, in term of a, a you can say the planning education in here at Massey University we are developing our own copapa. What it mean copapa mean what is our value and the principle, and then uh, bringing that value and principles in our education as well. So because we feel that we have a responsibility to train the future planners and that they have to do the practice. So, so I think rather than going a very state answer, so what is these barriers are right now with the Maoris population, I think acknowledging them that we are on their land and we have to uh, understand that, you know, uh, what the value they are bringing. For example, I will give you an example, a very famous statement uh, from the Maoris, that we are the river and river is us. 
you can't separate the river from them. If the river is healthy, then the communities and the city is healthy. And, and here the river, we are talking about the river health because the river health means there's all the biodiversity about the, all the fish and everything. They are healthy and they are flourishing as well. And that have that kind of a spirit came to that particular city as well. So, so it's a very different view that we will use the river water and to produce salmon or to sell the water or produce for the something else as well. So, so looking the planning system from that angle, okay, how to bring bring that kind of a values in a planning system as well. For example, I mean, it's a, it's a very next city from, from where right now I'm, I'm sitting here. It's a Wanganoi River got the uh, basically all the human rights, all the legally, they got all these, uh, the rights, what is uh, the, any human actually have a right as well. So, so that river. So we have to ask that river and their tribe and their EVs as well. So, so how to bring these things in our environmental planning practices, in our urban planning practices as well. And here I will share, I mean, we suggest a couple of weeks ago, uh, I mean, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to support this, uh, the Ivi, a Arimari, the tribe uh, for one project where the developer want to build the housing. There's a housing crisis, so they want to build the housing and then council have to assess their housing as well. But now the mar is having a more say to, uh, you know, to involve and to give a contribution. But but sometimes they don't have a, enough capacity to to understand the, what is the system and to respond. So, so they invited me actually to go there. And I it was very interesting that uh, the planner who came from the developer and consultant side was my student. And... Uh, uh, from the council, the, uh, was sitting my student uh, who is uh, going to assess that proposal as well. But I told them, look, I came here just to support the small authorities, one is people actually here as well. So, so you have to convince me and convince them that your proposal is not only providing housing, but also good for the Maori people. And, and especially they, there was a stream was passing through. What did we call that? Okay, in urban design, uh, we really we don't want just only the beautification kind of a thing, but, but you have to, what is your proposal? How to bring back the mana of the stream? Mana means the spirit. Mana means the health. The health of the stream. So how this stream will become a destination? How will you are going to recognize the, this, the stream and the health and narrative uh, and the alternative story of this site as well? Not only that, that the European, uh, the story, the narrative, but, but the Maori stories as well. So that will enrich your housing proposal, but it's also you are giving back to the nature and giving back to the original people as well. Of course, it's a very good conversation and they came up a bit more new proposals. So, so 
uh, as well and we're having quite discussion and that's that's going on you can say that that the project as well so in my transport planning uh, i gave an example of a i mean the traffic sign but at the same time is a like a pedestrian crossing, uh, like a roundabouts. I mean, we are rather than just to follow US highway manual and about the width, about the colors and everything. We said, no, we have to bring back to the, our indigenous people and their thinking and their thoughts. So we brought a very different patterns. We brought their art and culture there. Of course, there was a discussion whether it's safe or not, whether people will recognize it's a pedestrian crossing or not pedestrian crossing. But but I thought that's an that's a important thing for this particular place. And there's a... Uh, you know that the indigenous communities are the most, you can say, excluded communities around the world in the planning and design system. And, uh, and in that sense, I can see that in New Zealand, we are making progress. Of course, I wish that progress has been more fast, a bit more transformative, uh, but, but at least we are making progress, uh, I can say. I mean, if I will compare from the past uh, couple of decades are compared with the other countries around the world. Yes, yeah, so, so so that's an that's a interesting story from New Zealand. And as I said, at the program level, last four years, we're having a very deep strategic thinking and discussion that how to decolonize planning education that will lead to decolonized planning discipline actually later on because we are we have to produce these the future planners as well it's a very sensitive topic it's a it's a very sensitive topic and uh, and last four years we are working very deeply and lot of a discussions going on and uh, and uh, and how to bring these things within our curriculum and uh, teaching the students as well okay so 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 rather than just adding a new topic or a new process we are basically dismantling we want to dismantle everything and bringing up extremely new lens actually about the decolonizing this, uh, the planning education and planning profession. I'm, I'm very proud of saying this thing that 2007, when I uh, actually joined Massey University and I started uh, teaching transport urban planning, urban design, and New Zealand, the central government have a urban design protocol uh, urban design guidelines and uh, it was fascinating that the first time I can see the central government uh, have produced urban design guidelines which is generally not the case mainly is at the city level or a sometime at the state level but but yeah it's a city level kind of a thing but the first discussion I started in a classroom is that is so comprehensive a very good document I can apply this document in, in Australia and in the US as well. So what is specific to New Zealand? 
So, so all these principles are great, everything is good, but, but that can be applicable to everywhere in the world as well. So what is the New Zealand specific? Where is the New Zealand people? Where is the New Zealand landscape? Where is the New Zealand political and social history is there as well? And these debates started, I mean, in a classroom, these debates started on a different uh, other uh, universities as well. And then uh, later on, we have seen that the Maori core values, Maori principles came up in urban design as well. And it's a bit more New Zealand specific thing. And now even within New Zealand, it's becoming a city and regional specific kind of a thing because Maori have a yeah, number of a different tribes and different tribes have a different values and different uh, ideas as well and even in architecture in now uh, Auckland is building what is we call uh, four new stations and very high profile project on city rail link and uh, I get a chance to give a presentation there as well uh, during their design process and and now the Maori design and not only the design but whole philosophy and whole concept uh, about their values uh, uh, will be there in this uh, the rail projects and of course other projects relate to the waterfront development uh, city centers and some design and yeah so you will come to New Zealand then you will realize that you will find a distinctive identity of a a different cities and different landscape and this Maori design is coming up more and more and it's more and more acceptable as well because uh, because initially there was a resistance still we having a resistance because it's a quite an uncomfortable territory I have to accept that uh, for everybody but but I think this is the right thing to do I think it's really fascinating that, you know, you had mentioned the increasing opportunities for challenging the colonial lens of traditional planning approach, as in the case of the Maori people in New Zealand, and perhaps uh, kind of decolonizing the planning system through focusing on their linkages with place, as you said, values that are intertwined with valuing the environment as a holistic system, integrated system and then working on building capacity and giving back and co-building and co-producing knowledges. We are interested in learning more about some of the constraints and the challenges in kind of really institutionalizing those efforts, especially when we think about a lot of the work around indigenous communities are often faced with complexities in history, um, complexities in kind of ownership, you know, for like land ownership and challenges. Do you find some of those challenges as well uh, in your practice there? Yes, and I think it's, it's a continuous challenge. And uh, if you will consider what is the planning is uh, very much outcome-based thing, very much uh, there is a pressure about the market and uh, efficiency. People want, developers want a bit more certainty. So, so that's why the, all the rules and the regulation are there the policies and the plans clear outcome kind of a thing and when we are bringing the indigenous voices um, 
we really don't know actually. We are a co-creating that space. We are co-producing that space. And, and, and we really don't know the answer. I have a, no idea what would be the outcome. We will do the process, we will involve and we will see how things evolve and where we will end up. So, so rather than quick answer kind of a thing. And I think that's that's a big, big challenge. And when the, the developer or the market forces want a bit more efficiency, more certainty, uh, more stability in that thing that because there's a involved that there's a real world there's the involvement of the money and that projects and at the political level as well the delivery of in so many housing and all these projects very very different process okay and another thing is you can say that bringing indigenous voices being that they are thinking about holistic, they are thinking about the long-term and deep-level kind of a changes. They are a interrelationship kind of a changes thing as well. On the other hand, in, in our colonial system, many times uh, things is happening in a silos, project by project basis, and uh, on a very much on a short-term gains as well. There is, uh, you can say, Inherently, there is a conflict in, in these two approaches as well. Thinking a bit more long-term, thinking a bit more holistically, thinking more about the community and the place. On the other hand, thinking about your own self or your own business or your own short-term or in numbers, uh, getting a numbers or media and, and the political headings and things as well. These challenges are there. Almost in every project, these challenges are there. RS, urban planning, urban design, transport, environment, and all these projects is there. These issues are there. And I think uh, this, this, that's why for me it's very interesting when they work together, we are, uh, both sides are learning each other as well and their perspective as well. And uh, and and bringing up a bit more, you know, uh, yeah, for the positive outcome. So I think these challenges are there, but when they will work together in a bit more respectable way, and especially if the legislation and the government policies are supporting this way, I think then there is a more opportunity uh, to bring a positive change, actually as well so so i don't think so the change will happen overnight uh or without any kind of a with the difficulties so so it's a, each uh, decade there is a different challenges is going on here there is a conflict and then there's a lot of a conflict about the science knowledge and then the Maori knowledge as well the scientists having a very different thinking of a about the river or the quality of the river water then the Motranga Mari and Mari knowledge, what is they are talking about this. And so, so these sometimes these conflicts are there. These, uh, these get uh, some media headings as well. But I think when, when we are working together, I think understanding each other's perspective and bringing a different stream of knowledge uh, into the planning practices, I think it's a 
really, really important. I, I can give another thing is that, for example, when I said that river and river water, this is a bit more like a spiritual kind of a value for the indigenous people. And, and when in a planning system, the spiritual thing is very much like a church or a mosque or a temple and that having a place or a building or the design and the timing of the, uh, you know, for all this spirituality or uh, this thing of the practices of the spirituality. But when the river and the bushes are the native uh, bushes and trees are there, so, so then this we are talking about very different kind of a spirituality, right? That's not a, that particular place. That's not bound with the time as well. Planning system many times is a very hard for them to understand and to incorporate a, this kind of a thing. But but I think the main thing is that uh, we are talking to each other and government and the rules and the policies are getting, I mean, each other perspective and sportive. So yeah, so, so in that sense. So so challenges are there. And uh, as I said, that after 180 years of this journey of living together, we made some progress. And uh, we made some progress, but definitely, yeah. So so it's going in that direction. So as a current student of planning, I'm very encouraged to hear that the news that New Zealand institutions are engaged in an effort to decolonize planning education and practice in an effort to inform the creation of more just, inclusive, and sustainable communities. Generally, planning institutions and their community engagement activities are spatially concentrated in urban environments. For those of us unfamiliar with the New Zealand context, what is the spatial distribution of the Maori people in the country? And how does that influence the level of access that they have to planning institutions, including academic institutions? That's, that's a very interesting question because uh, as I said, that the planning is a very colonial kind of a discipline. And uh, New Zealand is, Approximately, as per the New Zealand Planning Institute, I think there's a more than 3,500 planners are working in New Zealand. And probably I have to say that most of them uh, are a 98 or 99% is the European, European. And, uh, and and last 15, 16 years, I'm teaching here as well. It's a, it's a, it's a European students are generally come here. Uh, good thing is that more females are there in the planning. Uh, I think in terms of the academia, in terms of the practice, uh, we don't have a many Maori planners or a Maori planning academics as well. I think we are very fortunate that uh, that I have a colleague and she's right now the program coordinator or a head of department, uh, Dr. April Bennett, and she's a Maori and planners. And, and that's uh, because when she joined in, in our team, basically, then we then that was the first time as well. You can say that these debates was going on, but, but uh, we started I mean, learning, and and that's where these other changes is happening as well. Um, yeah, at the curriculum level, at the COPAPA level, 
uh, as well. So 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 right now, uh, it's 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 we need a more and more the Mari, the planners actually in field and students as well. And this is our focus as well as a program uh, to bring them. So it's it's a it's a serious shortage of it. Uh, from the Mari and, and New Zealand Planning Institute have now uh, there is a, a special group on the Mari as well, but I think not many, not many people. And so, so, so there's there's a serious capacity issue and deficiency at this moment as well. But but at the same time, as I said, that it's not only the planning, just only a lot of a thing what they are doing in in environmental management, in Amari studies as well, in Amari studies as well, in other disciplines as well. So so we are bringing them and their voices as well. So I think uh, this is an ongoing kind of a, I think, the challenge and, uh, and to to bringing them actually on this field as well so yeah and in terms of the distribution around 14 15 percent of maori population uh, in new zealand now there are a number of a maori population is a bit more urban in uh, in urban areas actually they are living and working there compared to you can say although their their presence is there on other places as well uh, some rural and regional areas, but a lot of them are working in uh, urban areas. And there's, uh, as I said, at the school level as well, for example, uh, New Zealand, there is a whole move to learn about Tereo Māori language as well. Uh, if we will consider internationally, internationally, probably Tereo Māori have a and not that commercial value are a, like a part of a like a UN language or what is the French or the Spanish and other other languages as well. But I think the main focus is that this is the right thing to do that we have to learn and uh, and and that's uh, where the school there is the role of the school where the, now my girls are a bit more fluent are a bit more understanding about the Tereo Māori as compared to myself, but the university is uh, doing a capacity building of their own lecturers as well, that we have to bring Tereo Māori into our classroom as well. We have to build that capacity and we have to learn these things and also the protocols as well. Uh, for so, so, so many times, for example, even, even in our class, in our, the meeting as well, we start with with their karakia kind of a thing. Karakia is a, like a prayer or a, to a bringing a bit more positivity in the meeting or in the classroom. And so so these kind of a protocol and processes we are uh, we are learning and we are bringing it. Actually, we are accepting this thing and we are bringing this thing as well. So. In our program meeting, actually, I did Karaki as well. And this is another interesting thing that it's not just only that, the, the, what is the Maori thing as well, because we are also welcome, get welcome in this land. So I did a bit more Muslims Karaki, actually. It's very interesting managing all these challenges, yeah, uh, Dr. Imran. But before we conclude, 
what advice or message would you like to share with our listeners who are passionate about creating sustainable and just communities? My key message is we have to put our feet in a different shoes as well. Uh, look, uh, when I did uh, supervisor research on transport urban planning and women and women perspective, I have to admit that the first time I get, came across real, real perspective of women, I know that, but because I'm not woman, so so many times, you know, you're having a very less understanding, although you have a general understanding, but you have, uh, you can say, not in-depth kind of understanding. When I supervise that one, then I realize that the situation is much more critical from the woman perspective in urban planning and transport as compared to what we thought as well. And, and I think that's the, for me, the key message. And then when I did the research from the immigrant community and how the immigrant communities to involve in transport and urban planning in New Zealand, and of course, immigrant communities are not homogeneous, all are different and different values as well carry. Then, and then I realize I'm in the situation and the challenges uh, as well. I and did some research from the aging perspective. I did research from the disability perspective as well. And that was an eye-opener for me as well. Okay, and, and working with the indigenous communities, with the Maori communities and bringing their voices, then I realized uh, how much work we have to do actually and bringing their voices to make the cities and region more inclusive and sustainable. It's, uh, there's a lot of work. If we will bring, if we'll put our uh, feet on, the, on their shoes, then we realize that there's a lot of work to bringing these voices in our planning and design system as well. So, so I think it's a, Key message is uh, move from more tokenistic approach to a bit more deep level transformative approach. Rather than just only nice wording, we, we have to move more actually than just a nice wording and uh, crafting and narratives kind of a thing. And, we, and this is a very, very urgent if we really want just society, just city. This is really, really important as well. And that bringing all these voices in our system and giving them an opportunity to grow and grow together. And it will be a collective growth. It might slow down the process. Uh, uh, it might take a little bit long time, but I think uh, the right thing to do. So that's my key message. Thank you so much, Dr. Imran Mohammed, for joining us today and sharing your incredible insights. Your passion and expertise truly shines through, and we're grateful for the valuable knowledge you've shared with our audience. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that brings us to the end of our first episode of Just Space podcast. We hope you found this discussion enlightening and inspiring. Stay tuned for more engaging conversations with leading experts in urban planning, environmental justice, and generally how we can co-develop just society. 
Remember, together we can make a difference and create sustainable, equitable, and thriving communities for all. Thanks for listening. And until next time, this is Eka Permanasari, Dian Nostikasari, and Amal Bare signing off. Mm-hmm.